Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Energy and gas prices continue to be a top priority for Americans, but with a divided Congress, Republicans in the House, Democrats in the Senate, what will energy policy actually look like? Are there any areas where both parties can actually come together to get the right thing done? Josiah Neely is a senior fellow at the R Street Institute. He advises the Institute's energy team, uh, which uh, works to advance a well-defined and limited role for government in shaping decisions about infrastructure, electricity, uh, and so much more. Josiah, thanks for joining us today. Oops, did we get Josiah? Can, can you hear me? There we go. Now we got you on there. Okay, great. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a while Good for that signal too. to get up over the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> hey, as you look at where we are as it relates uh, to energy uh, in the next Congress, uh, what are some of the things that you're keeping your eye on? What should we be? Obviously, we still have a, a pretty evenly divided Senate, either 50-50 or 51-49. Uh, Republicans, of course, control the House now. So what does that mean for energy policy in that conversation come January? Yeah, well, it's going to be more difficult. Uh, We have the old uh, feature of our political system, gridlock. Even though the Democrats will retain the Senate, they might even pick up an extra seat, depending on what happens in Georgia. They have lost the House, uh, which means that... uh, They cannot get anything done that is not bipartisan. You're going to need Republicans and Democrats to come together in order to uh, have any sort of legislative action on climate or anything, really. Uh, In the past, during the the prior Congress, of course, they were limited to what they could get through the the filibuster and their various holes in the filibuster. Uh, it's a complicated, complicated business, but now they can't even really do that. Uh, so I think that's probably good because there are some things. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of a strange thing, but um, sometimes when you don't need to do uh, uh, bipartisan stuff, you don't do stuff that you could mm. do even w- with, the, you know, w- w- without control. So now maybe there'll be a, perhaps the Democrats and the administration will be a little bit more realistic in what they can accomplish, and we will be able to get some stuff done. Yeah, that's always it won't be easy. Yeah, it's always interesting to see uh, if they uh, do more of the Bill Clinton tack towards the middle and see what you can get done or whether they just keep pushing towards the edges. Uh, and one of those who's been the moderating force in, in the middle, of course, has been Senator Joe Manchin. 
yeah. and uh, his role obviously has been crucial on a lot of those things. Uh, there's still floating out there some regulatory reform. Uh, what do you what do you see his role being in the new Congress? And uh, is the regulatory reform one of those places where both green energy and uh, traditional energy could come together? Yeah. So as you uh, and your listeners will recall from from last uh, two years, Manchin has been some people refer to him as President Joe Manchin because he not only was the 50th senator, uh, 50th Democratic senator, but he was the head of the the uh, primary energy committee. So certainly on anything, uh, all the major legislation from Bill Back Better, which did not pass because he said no to the Inflation Reduction Act, which did pass because he said yes. He's the key vote, and you know one of the things that he said when he agreed to do that uh, climate legislation earlier this year was he wanted permitting reform. This is a big, uh, important issue. We agree. All this stuff that was passed, uh, new money, all sorts of new money for clean energy projects and all that, it's going to be pointless if you can't actually build it because the permitting times and everything was was so delayed. So that permitting reform, I think there is bipartisan recognition that you need something on that. Um, I think that the Republicans and Democrats, there's space for them to come together and kind of combine ideas of how you can do that. Uh, So that, I think, is the big opportunity for the next two years is to do permitting reform uh, be able to build transmission lines, build pipelines, build new projects to, to move energy and process energy different places. Uh, so, I mean, we'll have to see if they can get that done. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Yeah, so interesting. And then as you look from the House perspective in terms of what they might be driving uh, some of the things they may look at in terms of oversight and some of the uh, policies from the Biden administration. Do you see anything interesting coming out of the House in terms of uh, anything uh, around energy? Yeah, so I think this is an open question. You know, uh, uh, Majority Leader McCarthy, uh, likely Speaker McCarthy, uh, come January, he has kind of charted a a bit of a new course for Republicans on issues related to energy and climate. They came out with proposals of things that Republicans could do to have a a kind of more positive vision on climate, not just say no on everything. Uh, that seems to have worked out. You know, the members who embrace that, a lot of them have come back. It certainly doesn't seem to have hurt the uh, House. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, will the Republicans kind of embrace that vision uh, or will they kind of revert to the older vision of uh, just say no, uh, uh, dismissive of anything? I Right now, 
the big question there's talk today of are they going to continue the uh, select committee on uh, on climate that existed last year? I think it was very productive. Uh, it was the source of a lot of these ideas uh, for Republicans. It, they haven't quite decided yet. Are they going to continue that committee or, or reimagine it or whatever? So I think that's kind of will be a indicator, something to look to, to, to what the plan is in the House there in terms of how they're going to address these issues. Any other uh, low-hanging fruit opportunities uh, for Republicans to be more on the uh, not to just say no, but uh, here's actually a vision and some policy that we can get behind and be for? Uh, anything else you're keeping your eye on there? Yeah, so this is a, this is a smaller thing, but it's probably indicative. You know, a lot of states um, are looking to expand their electricity market, link up with other states. Uh, they're, they're exploring that, but... Uh, you know, some states, smaller states, they don't necessarily have the technical competence to do that. So there is a program uh, that's in the budget uh, to include some money for technical assistance. It's, it's, it's small as far as these things go. We're not talking about hundreds of billions or even uh, hundreds of millions of you know, dollars necessarily. Uh, so that's something, you know, if that gets included, I think that would be a sign that um, uh, there is some there is some willingness uh, to help promote both competition and, uh, you know, the deployment of clean energy in a non-subsidy type of way uh, uh, in the next Congress. Uh, great stuff. Josiah is a senior fellow at the R Street Institute. Uh, Josiah, great uh, perspective there and so many things to keep our eye on, especially as it relates to energy going into that new Congress. Anything you think real quickly, uh, anything going to happen in the lame duck as it relates to energy? Uh, I think uh, probably not. You know, the big the big thing there is uh, the big federal electricity regulator FERC. Uh, they had a one of their commissioners is up for reconfirmation, renomination, or whatever. Uh, and it looks like uh, Mansion Senator Mansion has said uh, he doesn't want to proceed on that. Uh, so there was some talk that they could try and confirm this guy during the lame duck. It seems unlikely at this point that they're going to do that. All right. Uh, Josiah, again, thanks for your perspective today. I'm always uh, grateful to have our friends from R Street Institute give us some perspective on the policy side of the equation. Josiah, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here as always. All right. Uh, again, that's uh, some important conversations as it relates to what will happen again. We're not expecting to see a lot in the lame duck session. There's so many other things that have to be done in terms of funding the government and uh, authorizing uh, the defense uh, spending as well. Uh, but we will keep our eye. Energy is an interesting thing, and, and we're starting to see a little bit of this wraparound opportunity where you have some of those in the green energy renewable community and some of those in the traditional energy space uh, that are saying, look, the regulatory stuff is slowing everybody down, the permitting, uh, the legal hassles and expense that goes with that. And so we'll keep our eye on all of that. Uh, that wraps up hour number one of Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. We'll step aside for top of the hour news, but don't go anywhere. Hour number two coming up next on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? 
I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.